Thanks, Kalani. You know, Mitch. Big 12 open for business. Mitch Harper. What is up, Cougar Nation? Welcome on in to a new edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast, Camp Kalani Edition. Yeah, that's right. BYU football fall camp about to open up. Players report to camp on Monday, the first practice of the Big 12 era. Officially, as a Big 12 member, kicks off on Tuesday, August 1st. And on this episode, breaking down the offensive side of the ball. Biggest storylines, the players that are ready to take a step forward. Newcomers, I'm intrigued to see everything you need to know about Cougar football heading into Camp Kalani. And it's going to be an eventful one as it's the first year in the Big 12 Conference. You can follow me on social media at Mitch underscore Harper, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that. KSL Sports on all the handles too, Threads. You want to get on in on that? I don't know if anyone's actually on Threads anymore, but hey, I'm on there too. So is KSL Sports and TikTok for KSL Sports as well, and the KSL Sports app. A lot of different ways to consume BYU content from me and the KSL Sports team coming up this BYU football season. And just a quick tease too: there's going to be some well special BYU football programming of note coming up here pretty soon. Might want to keep your ears peeled for that, potentially coming up here later this month in August. So exciting times for BYU as they get ready for their first season in the Big 12 Conference. But again, fall camp, it's always a fun time of the year. You know, fall camps are always a, you know, there's not many programs that love fall camp quite like BYU outside of the, the Southeast you know, I, I, I kind of keep a pulse of what goes on out west and sometimes in the Midwest. And I feel like BYU fans are the exception, not the rule out in this part of the country when it comes to fall camp. Cougar fans love fall camp, and as they should. There's a lot of great stuff that comes from fall camp. And this year's no exception, as there's so many unique storylines with this BYU team heading into the 2023 season. I think just the excitement, I think, is off the charts for this team. I mean, I would say that this is one of the most anticipated seasons in the history of BYU football. Expectations are low, sure. But when you add in the Big 12 Conference component, this makes it one of the more exciting years. And I just find this roster to be so fascinating. It's an intriguing roster, and there's no set precedent of as to how BYU performs in this sort of setting. So it creates these this unknown, this path of the first of its kind. That's always exciting when you're going into the first of something. One thing I will say, though, when it comes to BYU, and we're going to look at the offensive side of the ball in this edition of the Fall Camp Preview, we'll have a defensive podcast breakdown and special teams on the next episode here on Cougar Tracks leading up to fall camp starting up next week. One thing you can bank on, though, with BYU's offense is that they're going to put up some points. They're going to move the football. And I think that's going to be the case again this year as BYU brings back Aaron Roderick and this entire offensive staff. They all return. Roderick's back as the play caller once again. He's gotten more comfortable in his role at BYU. He's always been 
comfortable as a play caller, but I think expanding his horizons even more than he's ever done before. I mean, you think about his background when he was at Utah and how limited he was as a play caller when he was with the Utes, where it was basically, hey, let's rely on the defense to save us. Just don't turn over the football. He didn't want to operate in that space. I think he's growing into his own even more than ever before. I think Roderick is one of the top offensive minds in college football, and it's crazy to me that he doesn't get as much run nationally as some other coordinators do. I I feel like he's a top 25 coordinator on the offensive side in college football right now. I think Roderick has done an outstanding job. He's had moments last year where there were some head-scratching decisions. He's not immune from any sort of questionable play calls or decision-making. It happens. There were times last year where you're thinking, third and one, go with Chris Brooks. Make sure the right personnel are in these certain situations. Hey, that that's nitpicky, sure, but I think overall you got to be pretty happy with what Aaron Roderick has done as the offensive coordinator. And I think that he and the staff on the offensive side, so much continuity, they were able to sell this offensive identity to a lot of intriguing transfers. And the transfers are going to be a big storyline for this team, but most notably the biggest transfer, Keaton Slovis. Quarterback comes in from Pitt. One of the big storylines to me with him What changes with this offense not having a dual-threat quarterback? Jaron Hall, Zach Wilson, they could run the football at a moment's notice. Now, Keaton is a better athlete than people give him credit for. We saw that in spring ball during some media observation windows. He can run. He had a nice, if memory serves me right, about 21-yard touchdown run. That also had the peace of mind knowing you're not going to get hit. But he shows he can escape. He's not just a you know dead duck in the back in the in, in the backfield in the pocket. He can run, but he's not going to run very often. He wants to drop back and pass the football, be in shotgun, not in the eye formation like he was at Pitt. He wants to be in shotgun, he's gonna sling the rock, as he should. But how much does it change with him? Because not having that component, I mean you think back to last year, Jaron Hall gets hurt. BYU goes in that four-game skid. The defense is abysmal. They had to turn to Jaron to run the football to get them back on the winning side of things. Boise State, Stanford. That ultimately led to Jaron getting hurt against Stanford. Early part of the season, they avoided running Jaron at all costs. Still, he played against Utah State, and he gets hurt again. Not having that dynamic in the offense, turning to that well... How does that impact the offense? I'm very curious to see that. I I feel like this is going to be uh, an offense that, because of maybe the lack of ability from the quarterback to run, there's a greater focus on the running backs. And I think you saw that with the additions that they made, getting Aiden Robbins, getting Deion Smith. You still bring back Miles Davis. You bring back Hinkley Fulau Rapati. This is a talented running back unit. You know, I, I go back to about 96 Ronnie Jenkins, Brian McKenzie as one of the this is one of the deepest and most talented running back units I think I've seen since then. Mark Ottawayo was in that group, Dustin Johnson is a fullback. BYU had some studs. From a depth perspective, I think this is the best running back unit I think I've ever seen at BYU. It's really good. And they just got to kind of perform at a high level. I think Aiden Robbins is going to be a very good player. 
But the changes are, are going to be interesting to see with this offense. I think another big storyline for me is, will the offensive line live up to the hype? The offensive line last year, despite having some star power with Kingsley and Blake Freeland, who went on to the uh, NFL, to the Indianapolis Colts, I thought at times they underperformed. Now, you look at stats from Pro Football Focus, you hear from Aaron Roderick, they would completely disagree. But I feel like there were games last year, most notably the Oregon game, the Notre Dame game, even the Utah State game, because Jaron took some hits. They let Jaron down. And I thought the offense did not hum to the level that they should because of that offensive line up front. This year, I feel like they will be an even better unit. And I know that's crazy because Blake Freeland's gone and he's with the Indianapolis Colts, but I feel like this group gets better. Kingsley goes over to the left side and he's going to be outstanding. Kingsley, when he arrived at BYU, I thought he was going to be the next John Tate. I think he still could be that. I mean, he's being projected as a first-round pick. He's such a gifted football player. Six foot six, 315 pounds, plays with a ton of violence. Kingsley is what you want in a star left tackle to protect the blind side for your star quarterback. He's going to be really good. I think Caleb Etienne's going to be outstanding. There's still going to be some moments maybe with Caleb. He's not as refined as Kingsley, as polished of, a, of an offensive lineman, but Etienne's got so much ability, so much potential, and he's got more snaps at the Big 12 level than Kingsley does. Connor Pay, one of the best pass-blocking offensive linemen in college football last season. You add in Paul Miley. You got Waylon Lapuahu, who I think is people are sleeping on completely. He was really good last year at Utah State. Ian Fitzgerald from Missouri State is also in the mix. It was interesting. Dane Brugler from The Athletic, he ranked Ian Fitzgerald, and I didn't see this. Someone tweeted it at me, but he ranked Fitzgerald as the 15th best senior offensive tackle in college football this year. I'll be honest with you. I've been sleeping a little bit on Ian Fitzgerald because he just didn't play any first-team snaps during media windows in the spring. Didn't play basically at all. It was all second-team snaps. I think I saw more Trevin Osler at first-team, a few more snaps than I did Ian Fitzgerald. There were, there were a few, but not many. It was primarily second unit. And when it's that consistent, you go, well, pencil him in as a second-string guy, and then you add in ETN, you add Jake Eichhorn from Weber State, suddenly this got even busier, this room. It's hard to imagine him being in the starting five. But the options are there of this offensive line. They go too deep. They're about 10 deep with this group that can play in games and perform at a high level. Braden Kime was someone coming out of spring ball that I really liked at the right tackle spot to the point where you didn't think you needed a Caleb BTM, but when you get the chance to get that guy, you got to go get him. But they got to live up to the hype still. And this has got to be a nasty run-blocking offensive line. It was great that they were highly graded in pass blocking, but physical at the second line, at the second unit, at the second level against these defenses. BYU's offensive line has to be nasty, has to be physical. They've got to live up to it this year. Tight end backup position. You know, it's kind of a 
under the radar storyline. It's not a glamorous when you're talking about backup competitions, but I think it's still noteworthy. You know, your starter is going to be Isaac Rex, probably heading into his final year, I would imagine, fifth year with the program for Isaac Rex, 6'6, 247. You know, finally, feels like he's getting back to 100%. He was showing signs of that in spring ball. Last year was just really a wash. Coaches said with us and pretty much everywhere that they did not expect him at all last season. Then he plays, and he just never was the same guy. I mean, he still ended up Isaac Rex did with 320 receiving yards because he's Isaac Rex. I mean, I think he's that good of a football player to where even when he's not 100%, he can still perform at a high level. But I think he's going to be better this year. But who's behind him? Because of that injury history, and you want to make sure to have the numbers and the depth, and the fact that they were adding personnel after spring ball, I think there was it was a quiet storyline, but it was under underrated enough that the, the staff kind of let you know that they needed to add some pieces because it's not clear this number two unit at tight end is shored up. There was a chance that you thought Ethan Erickson was going to be that guy. I don't think he did anything in spring to solidify that spot, so it left the door open for freshman Jackson Bowers, who I think is going to be hard to keep off the field. He's so physical. We'll talk a little bit more about him, but Bowers, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. You also bring in Mason Wake back, who was you know nicked up a little bit last year during spring. Fall camp, uh, he competed, but he just never had really any sort of footing last year on the team to the point you kind of forgot about Mason Wake. I'm curious to see what sort of bounce back, if at all, that he has with this group this year. You also have, have Nason Coleman, a preferred walk-on from Chandler, Arizona. I like him a lot. Anthony Olson from Olympus. He's a redshirt freshman. I think he's one of the more athletic players on this offensive side of the football, especially at the tight end unit. And then you bring in Ray Paulo, who's very intriguing. Junior college transfer. Not much intel on him, but he's a very good athlete. And... I'm just curious to see what he can provide because this tight end unit, I think really after Isaac Rex, I don't know who you turn to. It's got to be Jackson Bowers where he's got to be ready from the get-go. They also have Mataave Taase from Southern Utah who transferred in as well. Mason Fakahua kind of in that same role as Mason Wake too. So very curious to see what that tight end position kind of evolves into over the course of fall camp. Cody Epps is a big storyline as well. You know, his whole situation with the transfer portal, he, he kind of cleared the air at Big 12 Media Days, which I thought was great because, yes, it's still going to carry over. And I think the media that don't cover the team every single day, they're going to ask those questions because what happens on the day one of, of fall camp, you're not getting the usual media members covering that day. You'll get the people that only show up once a year. They're going to show up for that day, and especially with this being a Big 12 season. You're going to get some randoms that we'll never see again the rest of the fall uh, showing up to this practice. That's fine. So it'll still be a storyline in in essence for the people on, on a general surface level. But for the people that are covering this program on a day-in, day-out basis, it was great that Epps you know, cleared the air and, and talked about his situation. He acknowledged to me that he hasn't had the chance formally to stand in front of everyone and apologize. I don't even know if apologies is the right word to use, but like explain his story. 
and I think you know when it comes to transfers, it's always it's an individual deal. And I think players that are in the grind, they understand it, and you know that you've only got four to five years to maximize this opportunity. If you are fortunate enough to get to a level in college football where you can play and maybe make some NIL money, I think players get it. But I think with Epps, it was a little bit different because he left suddenly at the final hour, and it was just so abrupt. Yes, it only ended up being two days, but it, it, it was one of those deals where you just go, whoa. This was a beloved guy. This is a starter. This is one of the stars of the offense. Has he cleared all the air with that team, with the locker room? I think so. I mean, I think Cody Epps is the type of personality that if there's anyone that can get people back on board with him, if there was any clearing of the air needed, it's him. He's got a great personality. He's a beloved guy at BYU. Cougar fans love him. Uh, But that still will be kind of a storyline heading into fall camp, and how also Epps performs. It'll be his first practices where he's actually going through drills since he suffered that injury last year against Liberty. Remember that? It was late in the game. Fourth quarter, and game's out of reach, and then he suffers an injury. It's like, ah, what was the point having him there? Last thing, depth. Depth is always going to be an issue. It's going to be a buzzword that you hear all the time. With this BYU team, probably for the first three or four years, they're in the Big 12 Conference. Depth, depth, depth. Depth will be tested, and there'll be opportunities to highlight some of that depth in fall camp. Now, fall camp is not like spring ball, where you're just trotting out the third and fourth string guys and giving them snaps. You're getting ready for a season now. You're, you're Those first maybe two weeks, you're going to have some you know evaluation opportunities then you start to hunker down, and, and you're getting locked in for Sam Houston. So it's not like spring where it's a little bit more chill. It's, the intensity is always going to be high whenever you take a snap. But there, there's not as many chances for youngsters that haven't maybe proven themselves in games to earn snaps. But still, the chances that a second or third string guy can maybe move up and get a first string rep they got to maximize those chances and show that these co- to the coaches that they could perform. The thing is, when you're talking about and projecting players that haven't done anything in a game, you got to see those moments. you got to see those flashes in a practice and feel like, okay, that can translate. The way he moved his body, the way he went up and, go, went up and caught that football, that can carry over to Saturdays in the fall. you got to give some moments. you got to give some flashes. And that's an opportunity to, to kind of build up the depth. Kalani Sataki, you know, told me he when I asked him if he felt that this was the deepest team, he said he believed it is. And, you know, I think I and I agree with him. I think this is his deepest football team that he's put together since he got to BYU. And I feel like outside of last year, I think twenty nineteen was his deepest to that point. Twenty twenty was his deepest to that point, and it was no coincidence. He had a bunch of draft picks from that 2020 group. 2021, it was not as, I mean, it's tough to say. I think it was, there was an argument to make it made it was it was as deepest because of Algier and, and Hall, the, the way that they kind of set the tone for everything else. Last year's was not as deepest by any stretch, not at all. And it's not because of the record. That was just not a deep football team from day one. This year, though, bringing in a new staff, 
on the defensive side. We'll get to them in another day. But all these new personnel additions, particularly on the offensive side, there is good depth. I mean, coming out of spring at wide receiver, it was Cody Epps, it was Chase Roberts, it was Keanu Hill. You saw flashes from Adam Henry, Talmadge Gunther, Hobbs Nyberg, but you're still like, that second unit has got to get bolstered, and there needs to be someone that can be a threat to the starting three. Because the last thing you want is the starters just feel like, ah, I got it made, this is my job, no threat, no one's touching my job. You don't want that as a Power 5 team. Getting Keelan Marion, getting Darius Laster, those were important additions, and then it just kind of brings everything into place. Same with the offensive line additions, and I think also Deion Smith, too, at running back. But those are the storylines that I'm kind of keeping an eye on heading into fall camp on the offensive side of the ball. Here's some players that I believe are ready to take a step forward in fall camp. Keaton Slovis, Jake Retzlaff, Aiden Robbins, Chase Roberts, Parker Kingston, Kingsley Suamataia, and I'll throw in a wild card here, Trevin Osler on the offensive line. I'll get to him in a sec. Slovis, though, look, when he signed with BYU, I've said this before, I felt like maybe was it a case of a BYU inherited a broken man because his numbers had regressed. There was, And I know that's a narrative and his stats and all that, but I, the numbers didn't lie. They were going down. But, dude, when you do size up the situation and the fact that this is the first time he's committed to a coach that he's actually going to end up playing for, it gives you optimism. And I think Slovis has tackled all tough questions thrown his way. He's had a good head on his shoulders. I think he's just embraced BYU. He's become a leader of the football team. And you can probably thank him playing a role in getting Cody Epps back. He stayed in communication with Cody Epps. Keaton Slovis, I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. I still feel like with him, he's got to be a case where he can only be measured on Saturdays in the fall. I don't think, because I think he's always going to look great in a practice setting. It's got to be in the game situation. And I feel like if he has a huge season, you're talking about a guy that's going to be drafted if he has a great year. He will be. I think NFL evaluators still look at him as someone that could be a draft pick. He's got a good arm. A little bit more accuracy needed on the deep balls. But Slovis is a good QB. How good can he be? We'll see at BYU. But I think he's ready to take a step forward. I think Retzlaff, too, will clearly emerge as the number two backup. That's my prediction there. I don't think that's anything bold. I think he was pretty much the number two guy coming out of spring. Aiden Robbins. Robbins at running back. I think this is a special football player. 6'3", 230. Didn't get to really see much of him in spring ball due to the wrist injury, hand injury that he was recovering from. Expected to be cleared for fall camp. I think he could be kind of delicate with him, but at the same time, you want that chemistry between him and Keaton Slovis. I think Robbins, though, is just a a physical runner, invites contact, but he's got good speed for his size. At, at 230, I mean, he's got, he is a big, big running back. And I think he's going to be a really good player for BYU. Chase Roberts, I'm expecting him to have a, a big year for BYU at wide receiver. I, th- I think he's their number one wide receiver. 
potentially this year. Parker Kingston. Didn't get to see much of him in spring due to a broken hand, but he is someone that I think has gained some of the trust from the coaching staff and that he could be a factor. Maybe is that wide receiver six potentially, maybe wide receiver five. We'll see. Kingston's got an elite trait, and that's speed. BYU's always looking to get faster. I think another guy, Kingsley Suamataia. I mean, I brought it up with him earlier. I just think that he's a generational offensive lineman. I think he's only going to get better from here. Trevin Osler is interesting. Osler, you know, he could be a guy that might not even be in the too deep, but he, I could also see a situation where his name on week one is a second-string lineman, and people go, who on earth is this guy? Uh, Osler from Bountiful High School, redshirt last season, six foot six, three thirty. He was taking some first-team snaps in spring ball at guard. And he moves a lot better than I remember him coming out of high school. And he looks pretty athletic for 330. I was pretty impressed with Osler. And now, again, the bar was kind of low. But I, I think that he could be a guy that can t- you hear his name maybe in some media scrums when coaches get asked, hey, who, who's some players that maybe uh, caught your eye? Oh, you know, uh, Trevin Osler. Like, you, I could see that happening this year. We'll see. Newcomers that I'm intrigued to see in fall camp, L.J. Martin, running back, Jackson Bowers, tight end, Caleb Etn, offensive line, Ray Paolo, tight end, JoJo Phillips, wide receiver, Keelan Marion, and Darius Laster, also at wide receiver. Keelan Marion, to me, is the most underrated transfer BYU added this year. I put out my superlatives article from the transfer portal for BYU football in 2023. You should go check it out on kslsports.com. But Marion, to me, is underrated because I just think he's got a, he's got the ability to be the home run wide receiver. Puka Nakua was that last year for BYU. Anytime he touched the ball, it was a big-time play. BYU's got productive wide receivers in that projected three with Keanu Hill, Chase Roberts, Cody Epps. But who's the big play threat? Who's the guy that can just pop the lid off a defense and make that big home run ball? I think it could be Keelan Marion. And I'm really intrigued to see what he can be. BYU is fortunate to get him because he was committed to East Carolina, had a verbal pledge to go play for the Pirates. But then BYU kind of worked some things and got him lined up for an official visit to Provo before he actually signed on the dotted line. And now he's at BYU. It's a big addition because I I just feel like he has speed and he's got an ability to stretch the field. All the other nuances of his receiving, like the route running, all that stuff, we'll see. I mean, he was at UConn. The level of competition was okay. I mean, he was playing an independent schedule. So so you saw some Power 5 teams. I I feel like he's going to be someone, though, by season's end. We could be talking about Keelan Marion as one of the best wide receivers on the team. I still think Roberts is number one. And I think Epps is right there after him. But Keelan Marion, I'm very, very intrigued to see him compete in fall camp. I'm also intrigued to see LJ Martin. All that praise I gave earlier to the running back position, this might sound crazy. But despite how deep this position group is at running back, I could see a scenario where L.J. Martin emerges as the number two guy. I think he's going to be that gifted. 
he's just got great feel at the running back position. I feel like if you're going to be a freshman that comes in and plays right away, one, the running back position is is one that creates opportunity. But I, I feel like if you have to have a great feel and great instincts, I think he's also mature beyond his, his age at 18. I think L.J. Martin's got just great in, instincts in the backfield. He's got great patience, too. Let's see if it carries over to a college practice, but I like the potential of L.J. Martin a lot. And I think he's a he's a sleeper. You know, Cougar fans know all about him because he you know flipped from Stanford, and they're intrigued by him, but... And it's not a knock on Ropati or Deion Smith or Miles Davis, but when you've got a special talent, and I think L.J. Martin could be special, he's someone that could emerge early on, and we'll see what happens. Ideally, you know, in a perfect world, he's not turned to at all because he's a freshman, and you can let him learn and, and redshirt and learn everything, but I just I find it hard to believe that he won't see an opportunity to play in some capacity this season. Jackson Bowers talked about him. I think that the opportunity is there for the taking for him to be the number two tight end. And if he emerges, that's huge for BYU. And BYU's had a knack under Kalani Sitake of freshman tight ends emerging and performing at a high level. You know, Matt Bushman did it. Isaac Rex did it as a redshirt freshman. But I think that, you know, Jackson Bowers could be a very good one. I love his physicality. He loves to battle in the trenches. He's almost like a six blocker if you need him to, but he's also a really good receiving tight end, and he's got soft hands too. Good red zone target. You know, Pick your poison between him and Isaac Rex if you did line up both of those guys uh, in 12 personnel. JoJo Phillips is interesting too. You know, I think there was a little bit more Hype, or not necessarily hype, but expectations for him before Marion and Lasseter joined the program, and that's that's one of the nice things you got to remember too with transfers. It locks everything into place. Getting Marion, getting Lasseter. If you maintain the projected three with Roberts and Epps and Hill, if they stay healthy, you then don't have the pressures on JoJo Phillips or LJ Martin to an extent with with his running back situation. There's not this expectation on them to be the dudes from day one. Now, there's an expectation to compete. Again, you, you got to recalibrate the mindset when you're in a Power 5 program now where everyone is competing for their spot every day. I, I think that's got to be the mindset. If you want to build depth, that's got to be the attitude. And But Phillips just doesn't come in now with the weight of the world on his shoulder to be a wide receiver one. If he's a third-string wide receiver, that's okay. And if he has to retreat, that's okay. That means BYU stayed healthy and that they did not need him right away. But on the flip side, if he's ready to contribute, contribute this year, it'd be a nice boost for BYU. I'm curious to see what he can provide. It's going to be a lot of fun. going to have a lot of coverage at fall camp, down at the student-athlete building and the IPF. We'll be all over it. I mean, I'm telling you, kslsports.com, KSL News Radio, we will have you covered with BYU football fall camp content throughout the month of August and, of course, leading up to kickoff 
for BYU and Sam Houston. The Daily Countdown continues on KSL News Radio every morning and afternoon drive, counting down the days to kickoff. And then all the action can be heard on KSL News Radio. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast, a fall camp offensive preview. Defense and special teams on the other episode here on Cougar Tracks podcast feed. So subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It helps out the show a ton. I'll catch you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, powered by kslsports.com.